Hi, I'm Melissa. And I'm Jenny. And you're listening to Outdoor Sports Girls. On today's podcast, we're going to be chatting with former editor-in-chief of Climbing Magazine and freelance writer and photographer, Julie Ellison. We're going to be discussing van life. Welcome, Julie. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Sure. So Julie's lived in her van for the last three and a half years and has been on the road for two and I think can bring some wisdom to the subject. Jenny and I don't really have a whole lot of experience with van life. I mean, never lived in a van. Yeah. No, I've not. I don't even know if I've slept in a van, like for more than a night. I I slept in Julie's van one night. Yeah, we spooned. It's great. With the dog. Yeah, with the dog. <laughs> there were no there were no more camping spots left, so I I gave up and just joined her in the van. Being a person that hasn't done van life, I'm curious of how you got into van lifing. Yeah, I mean van life is kind of a very unique thing, especially in this day and age. So it's kind of become a more popular thing to do these days, living in a van. And I think people do it for a variety of reasons. For me personally, I was living in Boulder at the time and I had a full-time job, but I was traveling all the time. I was probably in my apartment or in my house for, you know, 10 days a month, not even consecutive 10 days. And it just felt like I was throwing money away on rent every single month. And that bothered me. Boulder's expensive. And, you know, (laughs) believe it or not, Boulder, Colorado is expensive. And so, yeah, I just kind of, you know, and, and being a climber, it's kind of a romanticized thing to live on the road in your car and travel around all these climbing areas. And I just thought it would be a good way to save money and, you know, encourage more travel. And definitely living in a house for however many years, I had accumulated a ton of stuff. And I found that the things that I owned were kind of adding anxiety to my life. And I just kind of wanted to get rid of as much as possible. And there were a lot of reasons to do it. And when I finally did it, I kind of, you know, was able to sort of realize a dream that I had had for a long time. And, and I think, like I said, a lot of people do it for a lot of different reasons, but those were my reasons. There aren't a lot of women out there doing this, and especially women who are trying to work on their careers. Like, this is not just something that you did to, like, dirtbag around and not pay rent and just climb everywhere. This was something that you did to actually further your career, right? Yeah, to a certain extent, I definitely, being a writer and a photographer, a lot of what you do in the climbing world, at least, is, you know, you have to travel for stories and you have to be there to document things and to experience things to then be able to write about them. And like I said, it was definitely an impetus to travel more and to be on the road and to, you know, sort of be available for these projects. And I think that that was sort of the exciting part for me. Definitely growing your career while moving into a van or living on the road is can be a little bit difficult. Specifically for my career path, it worked out. But, you know, a lot of people you meet on the road are just trying to scrape by and they're trying to live off of as little money as possible. And maybe they're working seasonal jobs or short little contract assignments. And so I definitely kind of differed in that way where I was trying to, I was transitioning from being, you know, having a full-time job at a magazine to being freelance and just trying to figure out how can I work, you know, as if you're a freelancer, you know, you're working more than full-time, you know, you're kind Mm -hmm. of, you never punch out. (laughs) 
So, um, yeah, it was definitely, I think, a different experience than most people who live in a van. Well, and I think that from Instagram, all I see are kind of glittering photos of people doing this beautiful van life. But I think I don't know what van life is actually like day to day. Like, maybe you can talk to us about what the experience of living in a van is truly like. The one way I would describe it is that everything is work. From where you're going to park every night to water to food to where you're going to go to the bathroom in the morning. And you're always having to kind of be thinking about these parts of your life that when you live in an apartment or a house, you don't have to think about. You don't have to think about going to the tap and turning the faucet on and, you know, getting a glass of water. Or you don't have to think about the power, you know, coming through your outlets and those sorts of things are, that was sort of one thing that I really wanted to, I wanted to be uncomfortable when I moved into the van at the time. I think I was, let's see, I'm 32 now. I was probably 28 and I had this life where, especially in the winter when I wasn't traveling, I would go to work I'd come home. It would be dark already. I would sit on the couch, watch Netflix, maybe eat some food, maybe, maybe get the motivation to go to the climbing gym. And, you know, I would fall asleep on the couch watching Netflix and then wake up at like 1130 and be like, oh, I guess I'll go to bed. <laughs> and then, you know, go to sleep, wake up, do it all over again. And it just wasn't the life that I wanted. It felt so easy and just kind of felt like I was just kind of wasting my days. And I really didn't want that. And, and part of the living in a van, I was like, I want to push myself to feel uncomfortable. And I definitely did that. I think that's the thing that is sort of glossed over when it comes to the photos we see on Instagram is that, and now don't get me wrong. I mean, when I say like, Oh, life's hard when you live in a van, it's nothing compared to like actual problems that people have around the world. But it is, it's just something that it makes you think about things a little bit more and be a little more conscientious about just how you're living your life, the impact you're having, you know, the trash you make every day, you see it because it's in your van. You know, you have such a finite amount of space that I would see, and I still, I made a ton of trash and, and there are, you know, parts of that that are kind of unavoidable, but it's just more conscientious living to a certain extent. So, yeah. How do you decide like what you're going to like, I assume you have like one cup and one bowl and one pan. <laughs> like, how do you decide what you're going to accumulate? Yeah. And it is, again, it's just being thoughtful, being mindful about it. And you get down to, I want to say the bare necessities, but that is not true at all. I mean, I was, I'm a climber, I'm a photographer, you know, I love books and, you know, I don't want to say I love clothes, but like I have a lot of technical outerwear. And so it kind mm -hmm. of becomes what, you know, are you going to use the most? What do you care about the most? I think with this, like minimalism has definitely come in vogue and I, I don't know what the book is called, but the idea is Marie Kondo. Yeah, tidying exactly. The yes. life changing magic of tidying up. <laughs> I was going to ask if you read that and then decided to live in a van. I have not read that book, but I think it was maybe getting popular around the time that I mm. moved into my van, but it was too far for me. I did read it and I was like, mm -mm, not it, for you. I mean, it was the level of like, she empties out her purse completely every night. And that that's too yeah, far for me. That's maybe a it's little too much. far down my road. Yeah. You know? But it, the biggest thing when you're sort of 
trying to minimize your belongings is, well, maybe not the biggest thing, but one thing, and I know she mentions it in that tidying up book, but it's this idea of when you hold something in your hand, if it brings you joy or, you know, you have some sort of sentiment around it. That I think is really important because I had kind of accumulated all these things and some of them were, you know, they weren't practical and I had things from my travels and things from my family. And I think it's important to note that I did and still do have a storage unit in Boulder (laughs) where I put a lot of these things. I have a record player. I have my parents' old record collection. I, there's no way in hell that I'm getting rid of that record collection. (laughs) And, um, like I mentioned my grandmother's chest, those things are really important to me. And I know that I'm not going to live in a van forever. So, I wanted to keep them so that I could have them when I eventually did move into another house. So I think that is definitely an important aspect of an important thing to keep in mind because minimalism doesn't have to be the one cup, the one bowl. And to be honest, you know, I could never just have one cup or one bowl because I usually have, it'd be one dirty bowl and one dirty cup and one clean one. But Yeah. What's your thoughts on minimalism with being an outdoor adventurer? Because I think it's really hard for me to imagine giving up all my clothing just because I'm like, well, this is my ski jacket. This is my climbing this. And it's like, if I only lived in a van, I don't know how I would keep Mm. enough gear to do the things I love to do. Like, what do you do about that? I'm just curious for (laughs) van life. Um, well, I would say it kind of is, it goes back to like, what's important to you. And if, like I said, I'm a skier, I'm a climber, I'm a photographer. So I had all the stuff that I needed. I kept all that stuff in my van and I did have, you know, my ski jacket or my, you know, a couple different jackets for climbing. And, but instead of having 10, I had two. Mm -hmm. And again, it's like, what purpose does this, this one piece of clothing or one piece of gear, what purpose does it serve? And when you get gets down to it in the van, you have, I had everything I needed and nothing more. Mm-hmm. So, the essentials only. Yeah. And it's just, again, being thoughtful about it and being like, oh, look, I have these three ski jackets that are all pretty much the same. Which one do I love the absolute most? Mm. And then figuring out what to do with the other two, whether it's giving it away, donating it, selling it, or just putting it in storage. For me, a lot of what I did was, oh, I have six down jackets. You know, working at the mm-hmm. magazine, climbing magazine, I used to get a lot of gear. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I wouldn't work there forever. And so I would, you know, oh, here's six down jackets. I'd give two of them away. And then two, I would put in storage and then the other two I would use knowing that the two I had in storage, eventually the ones I was using would wear out. And so I had that kind of backup. That's really smart. So it's kind of strategic. Yeah. It was a little bit strategic. Yeah. So what kind of like, did you meet other girls on the road that were doing the similar thing? Like what kind of people yeah. did you meet while you were out there? All types of people. I would say that the majority of people I would meet sort of that were doing a similar thing were, it was interesting because a lot of the guys were the dirtbag stereotype. They're like young to mid twenties. They're living in their truck because they have no other option (laughs) (laughs) and they are just scraping by on a little bit of money and, you know, climbing all the time, not showering that much, the the true kind of dirtbag stereotype. 
But the women that I met were a lot of times they were my age, you know, late twenties, early thirties, they had established lives and established careers that they either, you know, had saved up money to do van life and were kind of just, you know, maybe they were in between jobs. Some of the women were kind of like worked seasonally, you know, had good careers that were just seasonal and then they would travel in between the seasons. So that was kind of the split where you would have the guys were a good bit younger and fulfilling this dirtbag stereotype. And the women were more established, a little bit older and kind of had their shit together. That's super interesting. I've never thought of the difference in ages. And I guess the question I always wonder about is, did you always feel safe? And how did you stay safe? Because that's something that makes me nervous of the concept of being by myself in a van. Right. I don't, well, I probably shouldn't say that I don't know any self-defense. No, but to be completely honest, and I know this is a little bit of a hot topic in the outdoor world, but I do own a gun and I do know how to safely operate that gun. And, you know, that's something that I'm not necessarily walking around with it on my hip, but having it in my vehicle, having it in a safe spot, And just being aware that it's there definitely helps me feel safe. And I think that it's a really sort of important aspect for me personally of living in a van and even just traveling a lot. And so I do have that, but I also have a dog and she is a 60 pound pit bull mix. That is, if you know her, her name is Lizzie. If you know her, she is. Oh, everyone knows Lizzie. (laughs) I have had people recognize Lizzie on the street and not know me at all. Um, But no, she's just a big baby. She's not sitting in your lap and like your face. But when I'm walking around on the street and I have this pit bull next to me, people don't know that she's a big baby. And I think that that's really important as well. Also being, again, thoughtful about the way where I go, where I park. I have had people... You know, I have left situations because I felt uncomfortable. I have had people try to get in the van while I was in the van. So scary. Yeah, it's terrifying. Did you pull the gun? I did pull the gun out. I thankfully didn't have to use it in any way. They didn't get in. Yeah. They did not get in. I'm not a gun person, but I can see in that scenario, like, why I probably would have one. Because I'm sorry, like, you can't kill anyone with your pepper spray. Right. If they're trying to get in your van, like bear spray. Yeah, I got my bear spray. I'm all ready. Yeah. Yeah, And I mean, it's just, you know, that's my personal preference. And I am, I was born and raised in Alabama. I've been around guns since I was a little kid and I feel comfortable. Some people don't feel comfortable, but yeah, that's kind of, I guess those are sort of my home security systems. But again, just being really aware of, and all women I think need to be aware and you want to be conscientious of situations you're getting yourself into. And if you feel uncomfortable, leave as long, you know, even if it's inconvenient, the the most recent time you're, you live in a vehicle, you can drive somewhere. (laughs) The most recent time actually was not too long ago. And I was, I had was parked at a trailhead and was going to camp there that night. And I was leaving to go to the airport really early in the morning. And when I'm packing my stuff, that's one of the biggest pains in living in a van is when you're going to travel, you know, to fly somewhere and you have to pull every, you know, I I think I was going on a, like a work trip. So I had all my photo gear. I had my climbing gear. I was like pulling it out of the van to kind of organize it. And what I didn't realize is that just kind of in the woods past this trailhead down the trail a little bit, there was like a homeless camp 
and there's a bathroom at the trailhead and that's kind of why they were, uh, they lived there mm-hmm. and there were people going to the bathroom and every time they would, you know, stop and say like one guy was like, Oh, you got a lot of nice stuff in there. And, and that kind of happens once or twice. And it was dark. And the thing is it's dark. I have lights in my van. And so you can't help but look in there. Mm-hmm. And that, that kind of happened a couple times and there was some weird stuff happening at the camp. Like I heard some screaming and yelling and, you know, each little thing added up to make me a little bit more uncomfortable. And then when there were two guys, one that had each separately gone to the bathroom and commented as they walked by. And then when I stayed, I was still there, but I was kind of thinking about leaving. And then when they were together and they walked by the van you know, 15 minutes after they had originally walked mm-hmm. by, I was like, Nope, time to go. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I had so much crap out on the, on the pavement. I mean, not a lot, but like my van was a mess inside. Cause I was pulling stuff out. I think I was cooking dinner at the same time. I took everything and just, I threw it in the van and peeled out of there, like burned rubber out of there. Mm-hmm. So Smart. just, yeah, just kind of being aware of that. And you know, How do you think like your intuition plays into that? Like, did you just get a sense like this isn't safe? Because I think sometimes we don't listen as right. women. We just are taught like, be no, nice things are fine. To, be yes. nice to these yeah. men. Talk to the men because yes. they're talking to you. you yeah. Know, that's basic human interaction, right? Yes. But like, did you just get that sense that no, this isn't safe. I got to go. Yeah, I guess it wasn't. I've had situations where, you know, my hackles are up and I'm like, oh my God, go. But mm. this was one of those more like logical, like, okay, these men have walked by. They have noticed that I am a single female in the van and they've noticed that I have stuff that they might want. And, you know, again, all those things sort of added up to me being like, I got to go. Totally. But yeah, that's, that's definitely maybe um, some stuff that guy van life for gentlemen of the road, probably don't. (laughs) Ladies of the road might have that problem. Gentlemen of the road, not so much. Yeah. I mean, not that there is an inherent risk for gentlemen of the road also, but it's just a little bit more. It's a little bit different. And I have like, I have lied about having a boyfriend or a guy in the van with me. And I would do that, you know, because the question which I want to believe is asked innocently is, Oh, are you all alone in your van or are you on the, are you like alone on the road mm-hmm. and it comes from a woman? I'm like, yeah, I'm doing it. You know, living <laughs> life. all the single ladies, uh, but, <laughs> but with guys, you know, again, I want to believe it's asked innocently. And I think a lot of times it is, but you know, Oh, are you alone on the road? And I'll be like, Oh no, my boyfriend's just in the chopping wood. <laughs> yeah. He's super big, super strong. <laughs> Um, and he has he's the brawny man. I'm the brawny man. Yeah. Yeah. He's just lifting weights over there. He'll be right back. He's getting don't super swole. He's, he's doing some marksmanship over there, you know, with making sure gun. with my gun that I have. <laughs> just to and make. know how to use that exactly. <laughs> accurately. Yeah. I guess this pivots to a new topic is you are a single lady living in a van. What yes. is dating <laughs> in van life like? Let me just laugh for a minute because it's ridiculous. But I mentioned this earlier, like this you know, the guys that are out there. And I always say the guys that are out there because this is not, I don't want to make blanket statements, but in my experience, a lot of the guys are younger and they're doing the dirtbag thing and they're scraping by and all this. And that's wonderful, but that's a totally different stage of life than where I am. But when it comes to actually like dating, I, you know, am all over the place all the time. And I'll be, you know, this year, I can't even, I can't even count the number of places I was in, but it's hard to date when you're living in a van because 
you know, I think meaningful relationships, you know, romantic or otherwise take time to build. And it's kind of that slow growth where you're, you know, you spend a couple hours with them, then you go back to your own life and then you, you know, you kind of come back together and and that sort of goes back and forth for a while. And when you're living in a van, a, you can't, it's, you know, you're not like, Hey, want to come watch a movie in my van? That's a pretty clear signal, (laughs) but do you just want to say like, Hey, do you want to come park your van next to mine? Yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. To a certain, like that's kind of what, if it's somebody who also lives in a van or spends a lot of time in the van, but there's this aspect of, I think where you go from not knowing a person to basically living with them because you're, you know, even parking next to each other. It's like from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, you know, you're with them or you're around them or you're near them. And I think that it can be a little bit difficult to actually kind of build something meaningful in that situation. And just like, I wasn't in the same place most of the time. It was like, we couldn't, I couldn't necessarily say, okay, like, yeah, let's hang out next week. There's this movie showing, like, let's go to that together. It was just like, I don't know where I'm going to be. And I couldn't really make plans and I couldn't really, you know, have that slow growth. Kind of that natural one date a week thing. Exactly. Exactly. How do you get ready for dates in in van life? I mean, do you go get a blowout? Uh, (laughs) Is that um, like when you take a shower? Finding a shower or a lake is important. um, Number one. But, uh, well, I don't know. I mean, pick up the shirt that's on top of the dirty clothes and smell, give it a sniff test to see <laughs> like how the, stinky, the stinky one. Do you, yeah. It's like in the 1700s, like the day you bathe is the day. Yeah. <laughs> that's the day. That's, that's the, the day. day. I, it, it, to a certain extent. Yeah. It's about timing where you're like, Oh, like I might be seeing this person. I should probably shower in the next two or three days. How do you do that all? Like, how do you find a shower? And I mean, are you, I guess, Sometimes you're probably just swimming or... Yeah, I mean, the summer is swimming all the time, but, you know, and showering occasionally. But it's just like, you know, any town you sort of... And this is kind of what's cool about living in a van and where and when you're traveling, you you learn all these ins and outs of, of how it is to be in the van. And a lot of the times with showers, I would shower at the local gym or climbing gym or regular gym, friends' houses. I think that's another thing about living in a van that I had to rely on people a lot and sort of people have been so generous to me to let me park outside their house or let me leave my car or my dog while I'm traveling, you know, internationally or cooking me meals. And that's a, that's a big part of living in a van that I think we don't really think about But as far as showers go, yeah, I mean, it's actually not that. People ask me, where do you go to the bathroom? I say, where do you go to the bathroom? (laughs) And it's like, you just figure it out and you kind of just make it work. But showering, honestly, is like not, that wasn't one of the challenges. It's definitely, again, something you have to think about and you have to be a little bit more strategic. But, you know, every town, no matter how small, has some sort of like fitness center where you can pay to go take a shower or campgrounds, you know, three bucks for a shower, coin operated showers. Was that a lot of possibility? Was that kind of the case with other girls that you met on the road doing the same thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like, and you know, the other thing too is like kind of sharing that beta with people and be like, oh, well, I found out that I can shower here. I get a punch pass. You know, I can get eight punches at the Bishop Fitness Center for, you know, 65 bucks or whatever. Mm -hmm. And 
but yeah, I think, I think most girls on the road are kind of like maybe a little bit more aware of the shower situation. (laughs) What are your thoughts on kind of like the ethics of the road? I read this blog post a couple years ago that I super disagreed with. It was someone doing van life and she mentioned how she would like poach swimming pools at Mm. gated communities and like go to Hampton Inns and like sneak in and have free breakfast. And I, and I just was like, Oh, I don't think that's right. Like Mm. those are all kind of like, you're actually breaking laws technically. So what's your thought on like the ethics of the road and like what you're okay with? Yeah, that's tough because Julie and I definitely did not poach a swimming pool in in Moab (laughs) after a really hot day. I mean, has everyone poached a swimming pool? I'm going to say, Yes. I want to say yes. It's tough because, you know, there are things that you just mentioned. Everything you just mentioned I have done and not <laughs> felt bad about at all. Yeah. But I think that, uh, like, there's this mentality, especially in the climbing world, where we're kind of wanting to live on the fringe of society and be this, like, subculture in a mainstream, you know, mainstream societies, all materialism and this and that and whatever. And we're not like that. We're about experiences and we're about saving money and living, you know, on this fringe lifestyle. And one of the reasons that I've gotten a little bit soured on living on in hashtag man life, you know, it has gotten really popular as far as, you know, you've got the New York Times writing about it. You've got it like all plastered all over everywhere. And it's led to an increase in people living uh, living in their vans, like an explosion of it. And... It's one thing if you have like a few people kind of living on the fringe and trying to, you know, camp for free, trying to, you know, poach swimming pools or poach showers or, you know, not paying electricity, not paying for Wi-Fi. It's one thing if you have like kind of a small subset of people doing that, but when it grows and expands to where you have a ton of people doing that, the impact I think is obviously is a lot bigger. And I think when you're talking about like, oh, getting the free breakfast, excuse me, the free breakfast from Hampton Inn, that's one thing. Cause you know, honestly, they're probably just going to throw that food away anyway, if somebody doesn't eat it, but cause they've already made it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's my justification. Mm-hmm. But you know, I was in Bishop in November. I was at a camp. I was in the Tablelands. It's this like beautiful volcanic Tablelands area. I think it's BLM free camping. There's a good number of spots, but it's limited And I was in a spot with like four other groups, three or four other groups. And I was there because everything else was full. And in over the course of this couple of hours, this one night, I just heard car after car after car. A lot of them were vans driving by, like looking for spots. And it kind of dawned on me, like we're kind of at this tipping point where you have all these people trying to do this peak van life. Yeah. (laughs) Like living on this fringe. And now look at the impact where it's spreading out into sort of our natural environments. And I'm fully part of the problem. Like, it's not like, Oh, I lived in a van first. And so I'm, you know, I can claim rights to it. It just is something that I think is important to sort of talk about and think about where you can't have all these people sort of trying to subvert society and not have some negative impacts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Jenny and I struggle with that a lot. We talk about it with travel writing. Like we want to tell people and share these experiences with destinations or adventures, but then you're also responsible for the overcrowding mm-hmm. and all of the people showing up at the same spot to take an Instagram photo mm-hmm. or whatever. So it's, it's difficult, but what do you think led to the rise of van life? Well, again, I'm part of the problem because 
I'm a photographer and I live in a van and I'm kind of just, Oh, I'm documenting my life, but I put it out there and not to toot my own horn. It looks cool because it is cool (laughs) and it's fun and it's great. And yeah. And then just it, it kind of blowing up in mainstream media and having, you know, key influencers who live in a van or travel in a van. And I think it's just kind of the way anything gets popular is that people, it becomes more visible through media, you know, social or otherwise, and more people want to do it. And, and I don't blame them. I mean, I was in that same boat. And I think that's just like, it's just growing exponentially now. You know, there are companies that, you know, build out vans for a living and, you know, it's just become really, really popular. Yeah. I mean, it's not like you're living in a hollowed out VW bus, right? Like you have a pimped out. <laughs> yeah. Ride. It's like, it's, a stu- I call it a studio apartment. I mean, it's like, I have water, I have electricity, I have like a comfortable bed, you know, it's not roughing it. It's not like a mattress in the back of a van. No, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, related to like the whole van life and what's going on right now with the shutdown, like it feels like the very people that are doing van life and love the outdoors and care about it are also some of the people that are like violating rules in national parks during the shutdown. Oh, fully. fully. And what do you think about that? Like I watched a video where this guy was talking about how all these people are bringing drones in national parks right now because nobody's there to stop them. Oh, wow. I hadn't even thought about that. But the whole point of not having drones is not because like the national park service are jerks. It's because like animals are scared of them. Right. Right. So like, what are your thoughts on like breaking all these rules during the shutdown and like, should we just shut down the parks during the (laughs) shutdown? Like, should we be able to go? Like, I don't know. I think we should shut them down. Yeah, I don't think we should be able to go. Of like yeah. you van lifing and what's happening right now. Oh man, I you know what I hadn't even thought about that because I haven't gone to a park during the shutdown. But again, I kind of go back to like what you were asking the ethics. I as much as when you say that about the drones, I'm like, oh my god, that's just so disrespectful and terrible. But then again, I've poached campsites in national parks. Mm-hmm. You know, I've. Probably, I take my dog in national parks where I shouldn't. You know, I'm not like taking her on these big backcountry hikes or whatever, but I have, again, I've like tried to skirt the rules just a little bit. And you always think you're the only one doing it. And you're like, oh, it's just me. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But in reality, you have a ton of people with that same mentality. And I think everybody's like, bringing their dog yeah. in the park right and now. And I think it's, yeah. it's, again, living in the van where you're kind of like, I'm the only one doing this. It's fine. This is an exception. Right. Mm -hmm. And in reality, that's not the case because there's so many people. And so I'd like to stand up on a pedestal and be like, no, follow the rules. And, but I, I think that would be a little bit hypocritical. That said though, I think that you are the kind of person who's going to make sure to pack it in, pack it out, leave no trace. Mm -hmm. Whereas Mm -hmm. a lot of people violating these rules right now really don't care. They're just leaving their trash. There's literally garbage all over Yosemite, just on the ground, just garbage. I don't, it's really hard. I think for as same for many people who, you know, love the outdoors and spend a lot of time there. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around that thought process. Like, when you, when you, when I hear about that or I'm like, you know, I haven't seen it, but when I hear about it, I'm kind of like, I don't under, it doesn't compute in my head because it's so foreign to what I would do, what my friends would do, what my parents would do, what everybody I know would do that. It's really just hard for me to understand. Yeah. So yeah, earlier, me too. earlier you were saying that you have kind of soured on it. So 
what's your transition? What does that look like? Ooh. Next steps. Are you, do you uh, think you're going to be on the road for a while longer? Well, like, I actually, as of December 2nd, live in an apartment now. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of a huge change for me. Yeah. I just, you know, did van life for three and a half years and you know, this last year was an absolute whirlwind of work assignments. I'm working on a film with my production company called Pretty Strong. It's a feature length film that will showcase some of the most badass women climbers. And that kind of involved being all over the country, all over the world, every few weeks. We were changing locations, we we're shooting. So living in a van for that is great. It's also exhausting. And I was sort of, again, kind of that moment in Bishop where I heard all these vans going by was a huge wake up call for me because I realized that like I needed, wanted to change. And so yeah, I rented an apartment and I still have the van and we'll continue to own the van, but do you, um, uh, do you park it outside your apartment and then like go back and sleep in there? Like, um, you know, it's funny cause I don't do that. But sometimes when I'm laying in my bed in the apartment, I think about my bed in the van and I think, because there's, oh my gosh, the thing about like, you know, waking up in Glacier National Park or like Yosemite and this just this, this feeling that is just so unique and so wonderful. And that's one thing I definitely miss, but, and just winter in the van is your water freezes, you're cold all the time. Like you wake up cold, you spend your day outside, probably cold, you go to bed cold and you know, it's exhaust. It really is. It kind of wears you out and it's hard, you know, if you're trying to climb hard, if you're trying to be outdoors, it's hard to recover, you know, it's hard for your body to truly just recover and relax. And yeah, I was just ready for a change. Do you feel yourself being more appreciative of the little things? Oh my like God. How easy it is. There's to, a toilet to shower. and a shower, like <laughs> 10 feet from my bed. Mm-hmm. And I like wake up in the morning and I look at it. It's just like, you know, angel rays. Like, <laughs> Um, no, I definitely, yeah, appreciate it. And, and I have found myself like, I'll go to the tap and fill my glass and drink the whole glass, you know, drink a glass of water and then kind of be like, oh, well that was nice. You know? And I think that'll, (laughs) I think, yeah, I think that'll go away with time, but I definitely picked up some good habits from living in a van, like the, you know, not accumulating too much stuff you know, keeping things relatively tidy. Like in the van, if you leave like two things out, it's just, it's a mess, you know? So now living in an apartment, I do, I, it's this battle between having this habit of wanting to clean things up and having it tidy, but then also being like, but now I have the space to leave stuff out. Mm -hmm. So kind of just like figuring that out as I go, but it's been, it's been really, really nice. And I think that living in a van, for so long has made me really appreciative of things that I was taking for granted before. Yeah. So you're glad that you had the experience. Oh yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I would totally do it over again. And there's a good chance that I will live in a van again, Mm -hmm. but right now I'm, I'm happy to be doing something different. And one of the biggest things I was missing from living in a van was that sense of community, that sense of, you know, even beyond romantic relationships, just having friends that I would see a couple times a week that knew what was going on in my life that I could talk to about, you know, problems big and small. And, you know, when you're living in a van and you're furring from place to place, you don't have a sense of community. You don't have, you're not building something bigger. And yeah, you're living your life and it's great, but 
I really was missing that. And in this place that I've kind of settled, I have, I'm in Victor, Idaho, which is in Teton Valley. And, you know, you have Jackson on the other side of the mountains. And I have friends that live in Jackson and Wilson. And then now I'm kind of uh, meeting people in Teton Valley. And it's just kind of like, it feels really good to sort of actually finally have this sense of community. Yeah. Planting some roots. Yeah. And And, um, go ahead. Oh, speaking of community, you've mentioned your production company, but what is that? When did you launch it? Like, tell (laughs) us a little more about. Yeah. So our, it's a women's production company. Well, it's, I say women's, there's four women in the production company. It's called Never Not Collective. And we launched, we started a little over two years ago, fall 2016. And we are just making films and content in the outdoor world, uh, mostly climbing focused, but we're kind of branching out to do some more general outdoor stuff. Our big project right now is Pretty Strong. Again, it's that uh, climbing film featuring women. Uh, We kind of had noticed this void in the uh, filmmaking world, specifically climbing filmmaking, where, you know, there's been some amazing climbing films and they're all made by dudes. Mm. So uh, we brought together four people who kind of have a diverse skill set. It's myself, Shelma Jun, Colette McInerney, and Leslie Hitmeyer. And yeah, we just decided that we wanted to try and make films ourselves. And we're not you know, we don't think we're going to make anything better, but we think that we're going to bring a different perspective to the table. So we have a lot of uh, smaller projects that we're working on. And then um, we have pretty strong. And then we're also working on a, um, a film about a transgender climber that we kind of did most of the filming again this past year, 2018. And uh, we'll do a little bit more filming and then hopefully that'll come out sometime later this year. So you have to pay for an internet bill to get constant Wi-Fi. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I actually just got Wi-Fi in my apartment, which is really exciting. That is exciting. That's full-level adulting. I mean, and it's kind of like goes back to the very beginning. I said everything is work. It was like even, you know, a lot of the work I do when I'm not shooting is computer work. You know, writing, interviewing, researching, emailing. It's like geez, probably 60% of my computer time is emailing, as you guys know. Me too. Yeah. So it would be like, oh, well, I want to work this morning. Okay, well, I got to go find a coffee shop. And then I'd go to the coffee shop and then I'd have my big bag of my computer, my chargers, my headphones, all my hard drive, my millions of hard drives, pull it all out, set everything up, buy a coffee. It would be like a 45 minute endeavor just to be able to sit down and write that first email and, you know, living in a, or living in an apartment. Now I have everything set up. I like roll out of bed, put the water on the stove and sit down at my computer. So it takes as long as it, you know, takes to walk to my computer, which is like three seconds. Yeah. I have that situation also. It's 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 wonderful. short. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Well, when I, when I first lived in a van, my first van was a Chevy Express 2500, and it is the most basic, like, white painter's van. I lived in there with my boyfriend at the time and a dog, and my dog, so it was a little bit tight. But I was working full-time at Climbing Magazine, and I lived in the parking lot. Like, I lived in the parking lot and when I wasn't traveling. But I had a key card that would get me in at any time. Bathroom, amazing showers, endless hot water. I could get Wi-Fi in the van. I had access, you know, to my office or whatever I needed. And I actually kind of would, like, store stuff in there. But it was so funny because, yeah, I'd like get ready in my van and have my breakfast. And I want all these people are pulling in around me parking. And as soon as I would get out of my van, I nine, nine times out of 10, 
oh, how was the commute this morning? You know what I mean? Cause I just walked 40 feet to the front door and I'm like, yeah, ha ha, super funny. But I'm like, this yeah, guy, by you're like, I'm going to go home now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or like, oh, yeah. I'm going to go back to work. Go, I'm, like, I'm just going to go home for lunch guys. And then just, you know, walk out <laughs> to the parking lot. You get, you get to work first and everybody was like, Julie's such a go-getter. Yeah, like, she's always <laughs> here first. Yeah. And like it's my car is in the parking lot all the time. So like the early Julie's birds see working. my car and the late, you know, the late people see my car and they're like, gosh, she's here like just 18 <laughs> hours a day. I'm like, yeah, actually it's 24 hours a day, but you know, she's she is a hard worker. Yeah, so right. We should promote her. <laughs> That's actually the key to my success. Success, you know, <laughs> just, living in a van in my work parking lot. Just to live forty yeah. feet away from your work. <laughs> then you really look like you're working the hardest totally. all the time. Yeah. yeah, just making everybody else really look bad. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. We really yeah. appreciate you. It's been fun. By yeah, thank us. you for having me. It's been fun to talk about it and relive it. Now that I'm I'm out of those glory days of living in the van. <laughs> when does Pretty so Strong true. come out? Pretty Strong will be out this fall, probably October 2019. Cool. Where yeah. do people watch it? Variety places, but we are partnering with REI to have it f- be free online for a couple days. So awesome. they'll be hosting it, I believe, on their website for three to five days when it releases. But you can follow us at Never Not Collective on Instagram. We also have a Facebook, and we kind of post updates there. So definitely stay tuned for that. Awesome. Thanks, Julie. Yeah, thank you. All right.